Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Enroth, and today we are continuing our conversation with Andrew Holsinger and Ryan Pankow, both horticulture educators with University of Illinois Extension. Today we're going to dive into ways to make our trees more resilient to storm damage, and also Ryan's going to give his recommendations for trees we can plant in our own backyard that can resist wind damage. And so, Ryan, like, what would an arborist do? So say they come in, maybe after the storm they'll, they'll fix the damaged tree or, or do some corrective pruning, but you know, what are some things that they can do or maybe even the homeowner can do that can reduce the susceptibility to future wind damage? Yeah, there's, there's a lot that a trained arborist can look at um, just as ex- exterior signs on a tree to identify areas that could be, a, you know, a spot at risk of failure. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, all arborists get training in that. That's part of the, you know, certified arborist exam is, is questions about this kind of stuff. But um, just, j- just from a simple visual assessment from the ground, I can usually tell people a lot about the problem spots of their tree. Um, you know, one of the things that I'd start with in looking at is just an, an assessment of the overall vigor and health of the tree. And, you know, that a lot of things give me indications on that. Probably the biggest thing I'm looking at, biggest two things I'd be looking at there is the, the live crown ratio. So the ratio of live crown to dead crown. Um, and then secondly, the annual twig growth. Those are two things that really give me a good picture of the health of the tree. So on, 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 every, on every tree, you can see the twig growth from the last year from, um, the, from a, a scar on the branch from the terminal bud from last year. So and it's, if you ever have an arborist pointed out to you, once you see it, you can pick out last year's growth. The year, but you can pick out a couple years usually on typical hardwoods in our area. Um, but the next thing I'd probably look at is um, like the roots, uh, the, the root crown, is it exposed? That's the area where the trunk kind of transitions into roots. Does that have a nice taper? You know, most trees kind of have a, a taper as they go into the ground. They don't look like a telephone pole going into the ground that has no taper. So um, assess that. And then next, the last thing I'd look at then, and, and probably some of the most important, some of the most telltale signs, are just all the branches and and the trunk, the branches, and that whole structure, the canopy itself, and what what is the potential up there uh, for failure? Um, and so, you know, a, a lot. One thing I pay a lot of attention to in that inspection of the canopy is those branch attachments, and just just generally speaking, a narrow branch attachment, so one that is not very wide, where that branch comes off the tree. You know, I kind of describe it as a V V-shaped branch attachment versus a U, more of a U shape. You know, or a, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a an open branch branch attachment. So those narrow branch attachments. Um, really promote in the development of what we call included bark. So because they're so narrow and that branch may be growing very, very tight, becoming off the uh, trunk of the tree at a really tight angle, um, as it gets larger and the trunk gets larger, it tends to trap a little bit of bark on the upper side of that branch union. And what that can start to develop is a, a some rot right there, or a, a cavity of rot. So you know that that's one thing that you can very easily see what what are the branch attachment angles on this tree and and we know some species have more narrow branch attachment angles than others you know a good example of really narrow branch attachment angles are the calorie pears all of those have really 
tight, narrow attachment. It's one of just the one of the most basic problems with that uh, tree species as a as a landscape plant. But yes, yeah, I see that um, all the time around here. So you know, uh, other things that um, it it probably takes a little more skill to look at is some of the bark pattern and. You can see, you know, again, looking at branch attachments, a lot of times uh, when they're under stress and they're probably one of those narrowly attached branches, they, they can get a crack internally kind of up around that top side of the limb. And so what you see from that is some wound, what we call wound wood forming. So that's um, a reaction the tree has to a defect that it can sense there. So it adds some additional growth around there. So you can see that either as kind of a swelling on either side of the branch attachment is what it looks like a lot of times or sometimes there's also some indentations below that branch attachment on the trunk you can see kind of a waviness to the bark and you know some of these things are a little more subtle um, you know obviously any type of swelling or bulge in the trunk or any of the branches that's a sign of decay or a cavity um, you know sometimes you see um, like a, a what I call a branch rib developing or kind of like a little raised, like long linear hump along that branch. And that's another sign of a crack inside that limb. And that's, again, is reaction wood forming there to help strengthen that branch. So uh, when I start to assess that, I mean, the fact that the tree is adding some reaction wood there, that's actually a pretty good sign. Um, but it's also the sign that there's some type of defect in that limb. A lot of times... Uh, and, and really, the, the best place to start in, in trying to think about the safety of your tree is, is before a storm ever happens. You know, at, after the fact, we're kind of dealing with the damage that's there, and, it, and sometimes it's making that determination of whether it needs to be removed or whether we can keep it. Um, but really, it's a lot preventative pruning before a storm can just do wonders for a tree and really can... Um, if a tree is regularly pruned, you know, for a large shade tree, maybe every three years, it could it could stand to have some pruning or assessment. Um, that can do a lot to to correct or reduce some of the um, you know the 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 stress in the um, just the stress on some of these weaker points in the tree that are easily identified. So that's kind of that's a lot of the things you can kind of see from the ground. Um, I was amazed at how many times I did an aerial assessment, actually went up in the tree and took a look at things that I saw things a lot differently. So, I mean, if you are really wanting to have this full assessment for an arborist, it's, it's worth um, spending the money for an aerial assessment because just, just like we talked about a minute ago, that concept of included bark and a tight branch angle and how there can be a defect there, there's times that I could see one of those from the ground and probably wouldn't have thought it was that bad, but you can't see the top side of that limb or that branch attachment where that included bark and the rot form. So until I climbed up and got on top and looked down, I was not able to fully assess that branch union. And there, there's times where then after that aerial assessment, it was possibly a limb that we removed then because it, it really is telltale to see it from the top side. And so I don't know if the um, current uh, use of drones could help with that. That's maybe a way that we could not have to have a climber up there in the tree, but um, just taking a look at the top side of those limbs makes a big difference. So.
And I guess another thing that um, I always discuss with my clients um, when we're just kind of looking at trees before a storm and trying to assess their safety and which one should they spend the money on having an arborist climb and prune and things, really to me, a tree is not a hazard unless there's a target that it can hit. So although you may have a really bad looking tree in the back half of your yard, if there's nothing that it could really fall and impact, there's nobody that could get hurt from it because it's not over a sidewalk or a driveway or something like that. Maybe it's not a hazard tree as much as one that's over your house. And that's, that's kind of common sense. But I know I, I was called out to assess a lot of trees that, that people worried about because they could see some of those cavities and, you know, decay and things in it where when I got there to look at the tree they called me to assess, I was a lot more worried about the tree that was close to their house um, just because <laughs> I could see some of these branch defects, you know, these outward signs of those defects. You can spend this much money, have an arborist come out, they can maybe do some treatments, but it's out in the middle of the, you know, maybe their, you know, back back acre of woods and it's it's probably not worth the money and it, it even contributes to habitat for some wildlife. So um, yeah, yeah, those trees sure. are worth saving. Yeah, and so just um, if you're worried about the, you know, storm damage to your trees, having an inspection and a recommendation from an arborist is a great idea. And, and like I said, a lot of arborists can do a ton with corrective pruning to reduce the weight that's on a lot of those weak, weak branch unions. And so, um, you know, kind of how that's done is um, any, any of those branches that we can identify a weak branch attachment to, the longer you let that limb get and the more weight you let get further out on the limb, the more of a lever arm it is when we put some wind force on it. So, you know, essentially what an arborist is looking to do is take weight out of the tips. I, you know, I re really, all the, all the side limbs and things that are back towards the trunk, I'm not as worried about as, as far out in the tips as I can get. I would try to reduce some weight out there, and then that reduces, you know, the forces acting upon what we see as a potentially weak branch union. Um, at, the next step after that might be potentially cabling that limb. And um, I think it's a common misconception that a lot of folks think um, a storm-damaged tree can be fixed with a cable, or oftentimes we install bolts through a big giant through bolt through the trunk and a branch attachment to strengthen it further. But really, cabling and bracing is a kind of a corrective act or a, a preventative action rather than a corrective action. Mm -hmm. So that that's probably the time and place for that. Where now, now when we're at this situation where we've had a storm come through and everything's storm damaged, that's usually not the time that I was installing cables and things. That's that's the point where I was um, assessing whether or not it's a tree removal, and then uh, attempting to repair any of those broken limbs. So. We don't have open wounds on the tree that are introducing additional rot into the trunk. Those were kind of the, you know, the two big things on a storm damaged tree uh, to assess and look at and kind of consider. And and for folks who you know maybe you're one of those DIY homeowners, um, and and you think you want to try cabling or bracing yourself just uh, Ryan had mentioned like the physics of trees and how they move you know especially when they're they're damaged but you know tree limbs and and uh, parts of the trunk they're designed to move independently of each other and that's one of the ways that they resist wind loads and so 
it, really a certified arbor should be the one doing any type of cabling or bracing because they they can strategize and and identify how that tree should should still move yeah that's super important that's a super important aspect of all that assessment and I mean, I think the, the do-it-yourselfer kind of job I've seen a lot often introduces additional rot around where you attach the cable compared to how an arborist would do it. You know, any limb that's not growing directly vertical, just going straight up, any limb that's growing a little off vertical or coming off as a side limb has what we call reaction wood. And so in the case of, uh, in the case of hardwoods, that, that's it's tension wood formed on the upper side of that branch that that tree is going to do to try and uh, to try and strengthen it for from you know natural forces of wind and other things, but to also try and get it back to a more a more vertical angle. Um, in conifers, there's it's compression wood which is formed on the lower side of the limbs, and so that that's always going on. If if a cable is improperly installed, then the way that limb has developed with all that reaction wood in different spots on its trunk, um, it's, it's not going to work effectively if that cable isn't installed at the exact right, right point on the limb. Um, it's also not going to work if you didn't do some pruning as well. So, I mean, you, it, cabling should always include as much pruning as you can handle on that limb to reduce weight as well. So, it, it really is a, a technical call. I mean, a, another big problem I see a lot is a lot of the lower limbs on a long branch a lot of the side limbs and lower limbs are pruned off to where you get a lot in the tip and that actually has an impact on that react not only the formation of reaction wood but also the taper of that limb so if you look at a tree it tapers as it goes up it's wider at the base and it gets skinnier at the top and you know there's you know trees know the <laughs> exact formula for uh, the most structural stability they can have out of that taper. Um, when you have one of these weird side limbs that comes out and already kind of, you know, is off vertical, an off vertical angle, and maybe it's over a deck or something where somebody's pruned off all the side limbs and everything, and you just have a little bit in the tip, that's really impacted the taper of that limb. And so, because it, if all those side limbs are there, they're giving that tree different signal. You know, there's there's different indicators for the tree to know where it should put reaction wood on and where it should have a thicker and skinnier spot on that limb. And the failure branch failure I see in those a lot is not a, not a break like happens a lot at the branch union, but just a little further outside the branch union or a little further down the limb, they'll snap off. And it's because they didn't have a wide enough taper at the base to take that. So you know, if you have one of those limbs that's over your deck, over your house, and you've done a lot of pruning yourself on it, that's really, that's the kind of limb that I was interested in working with and making safer. Well, Ryan, you know, I had a cottonwood in the back of my property, and it succumbed to the tornado and the, the wind damage. Do you have recommendations for what kinds of trees uh, would be more resilient to a storm? Yeah, um, I think it's a pretty safe assumption, and you know, enough that you can, you should never say never, <laughs> but or, or always. But it's a pretty safe assumption to say that um, a faster growing tree is a weaker wood fiber. You know, where a slowing grower tree, growing tree, like like all the oak species, they're they're 
forming a much stronger wood fiber. It takes longer for that fiber to form than like a cottonwood is a good example of a very fast growing, possibly weak wooded tree. And, and so, so that's a good generalization. Right. Um, so if you kind of, I think a lot of different horticulture books related to trees, um, you know, you know, Michael Durr's book is an excellent book for woody landscape plants. And I think in his book, he gives it a rating of fast, medium, or slow growth. You know, a lot of, a lot of different books have that indicator, or I'm sure there's great info on the, on the internet you could get that talks about the relative growth rate of trees. Um, so that's, that's probably the first thing that I, I would say is a great general rule. <clears throat> the slower the grower, the, the stronger of a tree it's going to be. You know, all wood fiber has different characteristics. So I just know from experience over the years of taking limbs off of multiple different species of trees and watching how that wood hinged, what's a stronger hinge versus, you know, hinge wood versus a weaker. And, and that's a pretty good indication of this, not only the strength of the fiber, but then also its flexibility where there, there's certainly some that are just terrible with that respect. And I guess one we were kind of talking about before we went on the podcast here was Siberian elm is just, gosh, one of the worst for, um, <laughs> wood fiber and having it just snap <laughs> you know another one maybe silver maple makes that list of not the worst but definitely one that's pretty common and has a relatively weak uh, wood fiber and, and I just know that from trying to you know directionally fell those limbs and get a, a hinge you know you make a, a notch on the front side of the <clears throat> tree uh, on of the limb and a, a back cut and you leave a hinge there that allows the limb to swing on some of those species, I knew I wouldn't be able to get the limb to swing very far, so I needed to get a rope on it and, and carefully lower it, as opposed to some trees that, you know, especially the oaks, like the hickories, oh man, you could you could hinge a hickory just as far as any tree. Um, you know, what, one tree that species that I'd probably put in the category of fast-growing and weak-wooded is river birch, but um, I did an experiment once because it, it, it really hinges well. It, it fle you know it bends a lot before it breaks essentially. Where that's what's wrong with Siberian elm is it doesn't bend very much before it breaks. We did an experiment once where we had a uh, a river birch that we'd removed all the limbs off of and it was just the trunk, and I wanted to see if I could instead of have if I could hinge that tree over and have it sit absolutely horizontal and still be attached to the trunk. Because the way you make a felling cut, um, once the the opening, on, so you make a, a notch out of the front of the tree, and once that notch closes, it pops the hinge off and the trunk, you know, the tree separates. Um, if you make that that face cut really wide, it, it'll never close until the tree gets horizontal or whatever, depending on what angle you cut it at, and you cannot ever pop that hinge wood. And we were able to take that that river birch and hinge it all the way over till it was, you know, it's coming off the trunk and it's about three feet off the ground and absolutely horizontal. And I could stand on the end of it and jump up and down and it never broke or anything. So, I mean, that, so that just tells you, I mean, there's, there's a huge difference in wood fiber across the board. So it's really hard to kind of say what's the absolute best tree you could get. Um, you know, you know, to me, in my opinion, the the absolute best is a slow-growing oak tree. And it, I think if you also looked at 
benefits to wildlife across the board from insects to mammals and everything else, you're probably going to get the most bang for your buck out of an oak as well. So Oaks are a good uh, tree species uh, for their strength, but uh, I've started to receive a few calls from the Taylorville a- area, and there were some oaks that uh, have some cracks in the trunk of the tree and some other storm-related uh, issues. So I think, it, you know, no matter what species it is, you're going to have to have some examination of of the tree and, um, you know, and in my situation with my cottonwood, uh, the way that the directionally you would have thought that the, the limb would have fallen, it didn't fall that direction. And from my research, I've seen like in the difference between straight line winds or tornadoes, that can have an effect on way, the direction that the tree would fall. Yeah, it can too. And, and I mean, another big factor is just our prevailing winds. So I kind of assume our prevailing winds in central Illinois are from the southwest. That's kind of a good assumption. If so, so that prevailing wind, that constant steady force put upon that tree cr- trunk, again, causes reaction wood to form in different parts in the trunk, causes the trunk to develop, you know, in, in reaction essentially to that, that wind force acting upon it. That It's really interesting to me that you can – I've seen trees that have – you know, we know have withstood tornado strength winds uh, from the prevailing direction that have been toppled from a wind the opposite direction. And so it's, and, you know, a tree that doesn't look like it really has anything wrong with it. Um, and, you know, as I, as I kind of looked at that and studied it more, it's just interesting how the effects of wind on that tree trunk. So although it's the prevailing wind direction, you could have gale force winds acting upon that tree and and because it's been exposed to that all of its life and all of its development it has a root system built to support that it it again has the trunk structure built to support that but in the event that those those extremely high wind pressures from the prevailing direction happen on the leeward side of that tree uh, well first of all on the windward side it's tensioning the trunk so you know it's pushing the trunk away it's putting tension on all those wood fibers going up the windward side. Um, on the leeward side, it's actually compressing all that xylem tissue, or, you know, all that wood fiber along the outside of the trunk on the leeward side. So then on a day that we get strong winds from the opposite direction, um, you know, that that wood fiber that was stressed by that compressive force that's been experienced for years and years in the prevailing direction, it can't handle that new tension put on it and it topples the opposite direction. So, you know, I think the lesson to learn out of all this is that it's just, it's really kind of unpredictable. And even all of this preventative stuff we do, um, you know, whether it's cabling and bracing or pruning to reduce weight or any of those things, if you have a strong enough wind, there's just there's not anything we can do. You know, wind is a destructive force and, and it can topple trees. But A couple times in my life have I been in a, a situation where the storm comes out of the east, you know, and for Illinois, that is very rare. But I know when it's coming out of the east, usually it's a big red blob on the map there. And one, it's going to be a very powerful storm. And two, there's probably going to be a lot of tree damage that comes along with this because trees just, they they don't grow and adapt to winds coming out of the east or northeast like that. So, 
How about when the canopy is gone? Like, from what I've been reading, is like, well, if 50% of the canopy is lost, then it may be a good candidate for the tree to be removed. We know, like, from pruning and that, you know, about a third you can safely remove in a year and not really feel like we don't have much effect on the tree. Um, boy, once you really, honestly, I, I was kind of assessing things. Once you get past a third, you know, I'm starting to think about should this be removal or so. So that was kind of how I looked at it. What once do we have a third of the tree gone or not? If we did have a third of the tree gone, am I going to be able to fix the wounds up there where, you know, the callus tissue can seal over them? Or are we going to have a bunch of gaping open rot pockets developing, you know? And, and so, you know, so those, that's kind of what I look like. Looked at it is a third gone. Um, is it fixable? What's gone? And then, boy, yeah, if we got to if 50 percent of the tree was gone, I'd really be looking at it hard for removal. <laughs> um, and you know, again, it also depends on what targets are there. I mean, a hazard, you know, just like a, a the sound of a tree falling in a forest. That concept doesn't make any sense if nobody's there. Well, if there's not a target and a hazard tree falls, there's Nothing was hit. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I got a question <laughs> yesterday. I got a question yesterday. White oak has lost the entire top portion of the tree. And City seeks to tear it down, but he's not sure if he knows for sure if it is dying or dead. <laughs> the red oak has lost a large limb, which peeled back and lost 10 feet or more of the bark. Oh. Yeah, so, it's I mean, pretty bad. Some pretty yeah. extensive damage to probably consider here. Yeah, and I mean, again, it, to me, it comes down to what targets are around it. Um, we know there's wildlife value to a broken up, busted up, decaying, cavity-filled tree. You know, <laughs> so I mean, from right. my stand, for for me, like I'd be looking at some of it as a wildlife habitat on my property. Um, I think that's one. So I just spoke at the. Uh, Illinois Arborist Association annual conference last week, and I gave a talk on planting planting native trees, and I had a big, like, half the talk, the first half of it was, like, a, the basics of ecology, because I feel like as an arborist, um, I never really looked at anything as an ecosystem or any biology beyond the tree biology, and maybe maybe tree biology and then maybe the biology of, um, you know, a fungus that's impacting it or an insect that's impacting it, but nothing right. about like everything is an ecosystem, you know. I remember going to a, a part of the park in Taylorville, Manors Park, and their uh, foreman of the parks and the grounds uh, taking a standard uh, broom you would sweep with and sticking it underneath the tree and going all the way through uh, a large tree and it's like this is right by the sidewalk and then after the tree was cut down the whole interior of the tree was just vacant of any wood it was just like totally rotted out you know a tree that has some rot inside it is not necessarily the end of the world because you know based on research trees can handle about a third of the loss in their strength without materially affecting their structural stability. So, you know, and we figure that 
you know, there's a couple different ways they calculate this. I, you know, I just looked all this up, otherwise I wouldn't know it off the top of my head. But um, basically, that one third of lost in strength is equal to about 70% loss of the diameter of the wood. So you could have 70% of the inside of that trunk hollow, and if the remaining 30% was sound wood, you've got a structurally stable tree still. And that's based on you know, engineering principles for pipe strength and equations for bending strength, bending stress on a hollow cylinder and those mm -hmm. kind of things. So, I mean, it's really been studied and that's pretty well documented. Now, I think the problem with that assessment is that a tree that has that much of a defect in its trunk probably has some defects in other places. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's assuming that that's the only defect in the tree is that loss of wood and things. Um, that makes that okay. But yeah, there's a number of trees over the years I've dealt with that had quite a bit of rot in them, but we still could assess as safe. The, yeah. you know, the thing I couldn't find is I, I thought there used to be an equation we used, and maybe this has been disproven. I couldn't find it, and I didn't do a ton of searching, but um, it was like something along the lines of, you know, one inch of sound wood for every 10 inches of trunk diameter, and you're good, you're okay. And when you think about that, you know, that's, you know, maybe it's something like three inches for every 10 inches or something. But there's some ratio like that that um, arborists use. You know, we just had a tornado in Illinois in December. It's not going to be our last wind-related disaster. Uh, and so, you know, if, if folks have questions, maybe, you know, Andrew, if anybody has questions down in Taylorville or in that area, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Uh, my main office number here is... Uh... 217-532-3941. They can reach me by email at aholsing at illinois.edu. And I set up a link uh, for some resources at go.illinois.edu slash disaster resources. And, and Ryan, for you, what's a good way for folks to, to get a, get in touch with you or maybe follow some of your work? Um. Yeah, sure. I Well, I'm a reachable through our office phone number here. I'm, I'm out of Champaign, so it's 217-333-7672. Uh, 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 my email is rcpankow at illinois.edu, so that's rcpankau at illinois.edu. And um, I'd say as far as following any of my work, um, I'm, I, I don't have one organized spot that everything's at, so it would have to be um, – uh, reach out and give, contact me. I'm always happy to talk trees and, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is my area of expertise and some, some of the things I do love to discuss. So definitely happy to talk with folks. Excellent. Well, but, I want to thank both of you very much for, for joining us today on the Good Growing Podcast. Uh, we're kind of a young, just getting started podcast. Uh, but we hope to get at least two episodes out every month. And, uh, you know, uh, we are available now on iTunes. We're available on the Google Play Music Store. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, so, you know, subscribe. Uh, get in touch with us. Uh, if you do have any questions, I will leave uh, contact information for Andrew, Ryan, and myself in the show notes. Uh, and, again, thank you for listening and keep on growing. <laughs>